Coming up on the Sark Fighter podcast, an exciting new potential treatment for sarcoidosis. This particular protein is required for granuloma formation and persistence, and that if we inhibit it, we can potentially make a significant difference in sarcoidosis. The folks at Kynevant are researching a drug that is showing promise in shutting off the body's damaging response to the triggers of sarcoidosis. So that's what I mean about a precision medicine and why we're so excited about the promise and potential of this particular drug for sarcoidosis. That interview is coming up. This is the Sark Fighter Podcast, living with sarcoidosis and other rare diseases. Here's your host, John Carlin. Hello and welcome to the Sark Fighter Podcast. I'm your host, John Carlin, and this episode of the FSR Sark Fighter Podcast is brought to you by Kindavant Sciences, sponsor of the Resolve Lung Pulmonary Sarcoidosis Clinical Trial. For more information, please visit www.sarcoidosistrial.com. I do this podcast to offer my fellow Sark fighters hope and to help you connect with other Sark patients to hear their stories, understand how sarcoidosis affects their lives. Hopefully that helps you understand what you are up against and what you need to do to overcome, whether it's the disease or the effects of the medicine or both. And before we jump into our interview today, I want to give you an opportunity to become a leader in the sarcoidosis community by sharing your story. A lot of people have done it here on the podcast, but FSR Now is seeking dynamic, dedicated individuals impacted by sarcoidosis to work alongside the newly launched FSR Global Sarcoidosis Clinic Alliance. Volunteers would apply to become community outreach leaders, that's a new title, who will share their sarcoidosis story with the public to empower others and raise awareness or apply to be support group leaders, which would be a different category of leadership, to facilitate in-person support group meetings at FSR Global Alliance Clinic Alliance member locations. Applications are due September 30th, which is coming up quickly, about a month from the day that I'm recording here in late August of 2022. Learn more by visiting the FSR website, and there will be a link in the show notes, but it's www.stopsarcoidosis.org slash GSCA leaders. But another thing that we do here on the Sark Fighter podcast, and these actually tend to be the most popular episodes, is talk to researchers and people in the pharmaceutical space about progress in fighting sarcoidosis. Kind of spread that out, didn't I? Sarcoidosis. Well, sarcoidosis. You know what I mean. Today, I have for you a solid dose of hope. The pharmaceutical company Kindavant is working on a drug called Namilumab, and if all goes well, you'll be hearing a lot about it in the coming months and hopefully longer. Now, probably if it gets through all the trials and so forth, it'll change and, and it'll have a, a commercial name. And if all goes according to plan and this becomes a drug that's available to sarcoidosis patients and a lot has to happen before that could be the case, Namilumab will be known by something else. But in the meantime, 
let's just get kind of used to hearing that. It's N-A-M-I-L-U-M-A-B, Namilumab, okay? And I'll be talking with Bill Gerhardt. He is the CEO of Kind of Ant and also Rainy Rogers. She is the Director of Patient Advocacy about how this drug, if it makes it through clinical trials, and it's done well so far, can shut down sarcoidosis by switching off the trigger that creates the body's autoimmune response, which instead of helping, actually damages tissues in our bodies. That's what we call fibrosis, and often that damage is irreparable. And of course, sarcoidosis is the snowflake disease. It's different in every single person. Most of the time, like 90%, it happens in the lungs. Sometimes it happens in the heart. So you have cardiac sarcoidosis. And the last thing you want is permanent damage from fibrosis in your heart. But also, uh, in a very small number of cases, it can be uh, in the uh, neurological system. Like in my case, I have it on my spinal cord. It can be in your eyes. It could be in your spleen. It could be on your skin. We've talked about many, many of those cases here on the Sark Fighter podcast. And no matter where it shows up, it's not good. So, Today, we'll be talking primarily about sarcoidosis in the lungs, also a little bit about cardiac sarcoidosis, but how nemilumab looks to be promising in those cases. All right. Now, as you know, sarcoidosis is essentially granulomas. Non-caseating granulomas is the term that we hear and use. That's basically small clumps of immune cells clustering in a part of your body where A signal has indicated that the body needs to defend against an invader of some kind, but there is no invader, there is no insult, but the granulomas come anyway, and instead of helping, they do damage. And if left unchecked, there are all kinds of issues that can happen, and that's basically the story with sarcoidosis. So today on the podcast, we'll be hearing how kind of ant is making steady progress so far with this new drug, Namilumab. All right. Now, Bill Gearhart is so good, the CEO, at breaking down how the drug works in layman's terms in a way that you can understand. You'll hear him use an analogy where he talks about the tumbling of dominoes. And if you've never been able to figure out what's going on in your body, when he starts talking about how the dominoes tumble, you'll you'll start to really understand what's going on with sarcoidosis in your body and then how Uh, this new drug potentially could stop the dominoes from tumbling. And by doing that in a very specific, highly targeted kind of way. Now, what I can tell you so far is that Namilumab has passed the phase one clinical trial and the company is now recruiting people, including you maybe, for phase two. If that's successful, there will be phase three and then FDA approval. And we'll go over the timeline in the interview today. And as I mentioned a moment ago, you may have a role in this. There is a strong need for people to sign on for the trial, and Bill and Rainey will be sharing information about how you can do that. And I can tell you it's not it is not just happening in the United States. So there will be opportunities for people all around the world to potentially 
participate in this. So maybe you're one of those people who are suffering the effects of prednisone, maybe long-term exposure to prednisone, or you're dealing with methotrexate, and a lot of people's bodies don't react well to methotrexate. And I, for instance, I know mine didn't, and you're tired of it. So maybe you're wondering where you would go to participate, how would you sign up for this, how would you just get more information about it, and all of that is coming up here on the FSR Sark Fighter podcast. Just feeding that stumble in. Hi, I hope you're enjoying the Sark Fighter Podcast. You may be wondering, what can I do to help? How can I be a part of the sarcoidosis solution? It's simple. Make a donation to KISS. Kick in to stop sarcoidosis. 100% of the money goes to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. Look for a link in the show notes of the Sark Fighter podcast. A reminder from FSR, over the past year with generous support from the community, FSR has made incredible progress in efforts to accelerate sarcoidosis research and deliver responsive patient support programming spotlighting sarcoidosis to hashtag make it visible FSR's 2022 update that provides an inside look at the incredible progress made in the last year as well as upcoming initiatives in the sarcoidosis world so if you want to know more about that visit the FSR website and read the update and learn how your support can help stop sarcoidosis Welcome back to the Sark Fighter podcast, and joining me now is Bill Gearhart. He is the CEO of Kind of Ant, and Rainy Rogers, she is the Director of Patient Advocacy as well. Guys, thank you for joining me here on the podcast. It's great to be here, John. We have Thanks uh, for having uh, us. Yeah, we have a, a lot to talk about today and and some exciting research, which could have some fantastic results for people with sarcoidosis. And and Bill, I know you're going to be fielding a lot of these questions in the beginning, and then Rainey, we'll, we'll get to you in a little bit when we start talking about the advocacy side of what, uh, what you guys are doing at Kind of Amp. But Bill, let me just throw it out there. You have a, uh, a potential new treatment, which is still in the research phase. Uh, but why don't you tell us what uh, nemilumab is, please? Yeah, sure. Thanks, John. Uh, first, uh, excited to be here on your podcast. I've been uh, listening to you for a while now and feels like we're uh, old friends. So uh, it's a pleasure to be here. And we're excited to talk about our uh, drug candidate uh, for sarcoidosis and a clinical trial that we've initiated for pulmonary sarcoidosis. Nemilumab is a next generation precision medicine. It's pronounced Nemilumab. I know it's a mouthful, but after we say it a hundred times, we get pretty good at it. So, right. um, but eventually it will have a brand name, but that's its generic name for now. And to oversimplify what nemilumab is, it's an antibody that inhibits a key cytokine, a type of protein that we believe contributes to the formation and persistence of granulomas. Antibody drugs are often referred to sometimes as biologics 
because it mimics a type of molecule that is found in our biology, in our body. Antibodies are normally produced by our body to fight diseases and infections. We have, all of us have millions of them circulating within us. For example, most of us all now have antibodies that will attack the COVID virus, either because we've been infected and or because we've been vaccinated. Antibody drugs are unfortunately expensive to manufacture, but they can be very powerful at precisely inhibiting the activity of a key target, a key protein involved in a disease. You know uh, when a drug is a biologic, when it is administered either by infusion or injection. Infliximab or Remicade or Adalilumab or Humira are examples of an antibody type drug that are biologics that some of your listeners may be familiar with. Another clue that the drug is an antibody is when the generic name ends in MAB, M-A-B, like infliximab or adalidomab, or in our case, nemilumab. Nemilumab inhibits a key protein that we think is involved in the formation and persistence of granulomas. Uh, the name of that particular protein is called granulocyte macrophage colony stimulating factor, which is a mouthful it's referred to as GMCSF in short. But the important thing to know about this particular protein is that it's elevated in the blood, lung fluid, and lung tissue of sarcoidosis patients. And the more severe the disease, the higher are the levels of this particular protein. More importantly, when GMCSF is genetically deleted in animal models, those animals are not able to form granulomas when challenged with a virus or bacterium. And when GMCSF is overexpressed in animal models, the level of granulomas are significantly higher. So it's the combination of these samples from patients combined with these animal results that are a really good indicator that this particular protein is required for granuloma formation and persistence. And that if we inhibit it, we can potentially make a significant difference in sarcoidosis. Well, that is a lot of information, <laughs> uh, but it sounds, it, it was a wonderful explanation, honestly, for, for what's going on in people's bodies. So you say you, you try to trigger the, um, the reaction by, uh, what, what would you do? Like give them uh, a, a virus and see if you couldn't get that to trigger. And, and that's the evidence that, that suggests this is working. Yeah, and not to get too uh, scientific about it, but there are animal models that have been developed that form granulomas when challenged with a bacterium or a virus or a number of any other things that can result in the formation of granulomas. And so in these animal models to test a hypothesis, you can actually genetically engineer the animal so that it doesn't contain your, doesn't express your protein of interest. And in the case where this particular protein that we're targeting, GMCSF, is missing, those animals cannot form granulomas in response to that challenge. And more importantly, when we add higher levels of this protein to those animal studies when challenged, you see a significant increase in granuloma. So it's a, not a guarantee, but it's a great sign that this approach could be effective for treating granuloma at its source. I mean, sorry, treating sarcoidosis at its source. Well, it sounds extremely promising. I, I just on, on the face of it, as you've explained it. 
Well, we're certainly excited enough to uh, invest a, a very uh, significant amount of money and uh, and for the team at Kinevan to, to invest a significant uh, percentage of their uh, adult working life to try to develop a new therapy for sarcoidosis based on this uh, early but uh, promising data that suggests that the drug will work once it gets into uh, once it gets into patients. I think maybe to better answer the question, why do we think it will work? We need to briefly just traverse the ground that may be well understood by some of your listeners. We all, I think, know that sarcoidosis is an inflammatory disease characterized by the presence of granulomas believed to be formed by an exaggerated immune response to unidentified antigens. Granulomas are clumps of cells that surround an antigen. The purpose of granulomas is to wall off that antigen so that the body is protected from whatever that is. And what do we mean by an antigen? It's a foreign molecule or a molecule that the body thinks is foreign, like a virus or a bacterium, chemicals, or maybe dust even, or maybe even a protein in the body, like a fragment of DNA that the body doesn't recognize. And normally the body can clear these granulomas without assistance, but in sarcoidosis, those granulomas persist, sometimes leading to inflammation that when unsuccessful at clearing the granulomas uh, persists, and it's that chronic inflammation that mostly leads to the symptoms patients experience, compromised organ function, and in some cases, scarring or fibrosis of the tissue, mm -hmm. which can lead to even organ failure. And as you know, and as most of your listeners know, nobody knows for sure why some people get this disease. It's likely due to some genetic predisposition where the immune system doesn't quite work right when a foreign molecule is detected, similar to why some people get cancer when exposed to certain environmental exposures. Why is this important to understand for this particular uh, drug? Well, short of understanding what genes are causing that initial dysfunctional immune response, and because scientists don't historically know what is actually causing these granulomas to form, the best pharmaceutical approaches to treating this disease historically have been broadly acting anti-inflammatory or immune suppressive therapies like prednisone or methotrexate. Prednisone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But what we're doing is taking a more precise approach, a more targeted approach to the specific thing that's happening in sarcoidosis based on a better understanding of what's going on. All biological processes have what are called pathways. When one thing happens, a cascade of biological events occur, leading to, in this case, an inappropriate immune response to an antigen that fails to resolve on its own. Think of a biological process as a row of dominoes that fall over one after another after the first one is knocked over, eventually leading to the last domino falling over. As we better understand what those pathways look like for sarcoidosis, we can develop new drugs that target a specific step in that pathway, a specific protein in that pathway, or if you like, a specific domino in my example, that when inhibited, stops the process from occurring, stops the formation and persistence of granulomas, and or better enables the body's immune system to get rid of the granulomas. If we can prevent 
or reduce the formation and persistence of granulomas, we can prevent or reduce the resulting chronic inflammation that leads to all of the problems that patients are experiencing. And if we can do that with a drug that is safe, well-tolerated, and conveniently administered, then that would be a home run uh, for patients with this disease. Think of it as a precision medicine. We're not developing a drug with broad anti-inflammatory properties like prednisone, which works in the short term, but causes all kinds of problems if patients are unable to taper off after one or two courses. And we're not talking about a drug like methotrexate, which broadly suppresses the immune system, which sometimes works, but it's slow to act and has significant side effects for a lot of people that take it. In my Domino's example, these types of medicines don't knock over just one domino in one pathway. They knock over multiple dominoes and multiple pathways, a sledgehammer, if you will, instead of a, a scalpel, leading not only some efficacy in sarcoidosis, but sometimes also to a lot of other unintended effects, side effects. So that's what I mean about a precision medicine and why we're so excited about the promise and potential of this particular drug for sarcoidosis. And why sarcoidosis? We've got what two hundred thousand sarcoidosis patients in the in the United States, and and over a million that we know of in the world. You know, kind of ant uh, is is focusing on an orphan disease. Can you kind of give us some idea of why you decided to to work on sarcoidosis? Yeah, that's a great question. Maybe the answer that question, I can tell you first a little bit about myself and then a little bit about the philosophy and the focus of our company. I'm, my background is primarily as the CEO and founder of uh, biopharma companies, mostly here in San Diego, where I live. So I'm somewhat of a serial entrepreneur, having started a half a dozen companies in my career. By the way, biopharma can mean different things to different people, but in my case, it means drug development. In other words, designing and executing clinical trials in order to prove that a drug is safe and effective and deserves to be FDA approved and made available to patients. I started a company and helped develop a new medicine for cystic fibrosis, which is a rare disease. I helped uh, start and was the CEO of a company that developed a new medicine for chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, which is the number three cause of mortality in the world. And I was the CEO and founder of a company that was developing a drug for idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, which is a deadly respiratory disease. But in that case, um, that program failed, which sometimes happens in our industry. Uh, we were in the middle of recruiting for that study when the pandemic hit, and we had to stop recruitment like a lot of companies. And we tried to finish with the data that we had. And unfortunately, the data wasn't positive enough for us to continue forward. So that's kind of a little bit about my history. And at this point in my career, I'm passionate about working on new treatments for diseases that have few or no good treatment options, serious diseases with significant unmet needs. And those tend to be rare diseases, which is arbitrarily defined as less than 200,000 in the US. And they frequently have no therapies approved. And I've been looking at sarcoidosis for maybe close to 15 years, but just never found the right approach that I thought would be um, that I thought would be um, uh, successful. 
Um, and the conviction rate has to be pretty high given, you know, what's at stake when you actually go down this path to develop a new drug. So kind of ant was formed to specifically focus on inflammation and autoimmune rare diseases. And our first and currently only program is targeting sarcoidosis. Unlike a lot of other developers who start with a drug and look for a disease to treat, our philosophy is to first start with the problem, the disease, and work backwards to identify and eventually develop a drug that we think will most effectively treat that problem. So when you ask the question, why sarcoidosis, it's because we, of all of the different rare diseases we've been looking at, we think we've got an approach that we have a lot of confidence in that we think is going to work. And once you have that conviction, then there's obviously a um, moral obligation and a business obligation to go try to make that happen. Infliximab, Remicade, or Adalimumab, Humira are examples of drugs that have been developed for other diseases. And they have sort of been repurposed for treating sarcoidosis, but they weren't designed or developed to treat specifically sarcoidosis, not specifically proven effective and approved by the FDA for sarcoidosis, but better than no option for sure, other than anti-inflammatory or immunosuppressant drugs like prednisone or methotrexate. The advantage of our approach is that we believe it significantly increases our probability of success, the success of the therapy, both in terms of efficacy and in terms of tolerability and safety. A lot about sarcoidosis is not, not well understood. That's just one of the many things that makes it challenging to develop a new therapy for this disease. However, our growing knowledge and what biological processes cause the disease and based on our insights on how we can interrupt those processes that lead to this disease with a new therapy gives us um, a lot of hope and a lot of excitement about the potential to treat this disease at its source more effectively than what's currently available. So that's our approach generally, and that's our approach specifically for sarcoidosis. Well, um, just speaking on behalf of the sarcoidosis community, thank you for, for choosing sarcoidosis to, to focus on. Um, you know, as as you mentioned, uh, there are there are no on label drugs right now for sarcoidosis that are specifically developed for sarcoidosis. So, um, as we look at your research opportunity here, uh, let's hope that it moves forward in a positive direction, the way that it that it seems to be with what you've been able to establish so far. So, thank you for that. Uh, let me ask you the next question. So you have started now, uh, as, as we talk about your research, um, you have started something called the Resolve Lung Study. Please tell us what that is. Uh, sure. Yeah, no, excited to talk about our, our clinical trial. And, and in fact, we actually have initiated two clinical trials, Sean. We've initiated a smaller study in cardiac sarcoidosis that we refer to as Resolve Heart, and a larger trial in pulmonary sarcoidosis, which we refer to as Resolve Lung, which we'll mostly discuss here today. And the Resolve Lung clinical trial is a traditional randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trial that is a phase two trial, which is many of your listeners know as a result of listening to other speakers on your podcast is 
sort of the middle of the process, if you will, to a drug being approved by the FDA. Phase one is mostly safety. Phase two is efficacy and safety in a smaller number of patients. Phase three is uh, safety and efficacy in a larger number of patients. In our particular case, we've actually designed a pretty significant phase two study. It's a two-arm study. One arm would have uh, randomized to placebo. The second arm would be randomized to our drug, Nemilumab. It's 100 patients total, 50 patients in each arm. Um, and for patients, it would be a one-year commitment with monthly clinical visits. And the one year is broken into two periods. The first six months is the randomized double-blind placebo-controlled part of the trial. But at the end of the six months, all patients in the trial will roll over and be in what we call an open-label extension, which means regardless if you were on placebo or active in the first six months of the study, you will, you will be on the therapy in the second six months of the study. So everybody in the, in the clinical trial will eventually get the drug either in the beginning or in the middle of the trial. The trial, like other pulmonary sarcoidosis studies, is designed to measure improvements in lung function and in quality of life, ability to taper off of steroids or other immunosuppressive therapies, changes and improvements in fatigue and other important assessments of effectiveness for patients. Um, patients eligible for the study are broadly patients that are not well controlled on currently available therapies, either because they're on doses of prednisone or methotrexate and they still have symptoms and they're still sick and they still have a poor quality of life, or they've tried to use levels of those drugs that are effective, but aren't able to tolerate the side effects. So we hopefully are targeting patients who are of the highest need, who would normally be patients that would be candidates for a biologic uh, in order to best demonstrate the potential of the drug. It's a big study uh, in terms of footprint, up to 50 clinical trial sites in seven different countries in the US, as well as the UK and the EU. So you right now are in phase two. Are you you're actively recruiting? You're looking for those patients right now? We are. We've uh, just recently opened our first clinical trial sites in the US, and we're starting to screen patients for both studies. And we hope to actually enroll our first patient here in the very near future, or maybe by the time your listeners uh, hear this podcast, we will have enrolled our first patient, which would be a huge, exciting uh, moment for the company because to get to this point took years uh, and a significant amount of work by a lot of people at our company in order to get to that point. It's not the end, obviously, because we have to then finish recruitment and uh, and lay the groundwork for the next you know part of the clinical program. So everybody will, will be working hard, but it'll definitely be a cause of celebration around our company. So, and I want to ask you in just a moment um, where these uh, centers are that are that are offering the trial. 
because I assume there's some sort of geographic tie for people who may want to, that you can only travel just so far to go to the doctor often enough to make this work. Um, but you, I just want to get a time marker in here. Uh, you're listening to the Sark Fighter podcast, and we are talking with Bill Gearhart, who is the CEO of Kindavant, and we'll be hearing from Randy Rogers, the Director of Patient Advocacy here in just a moment. But we are recording uh, in late August of 2022. And just so you, if you are listening, because a lot of people do go back and listen to uh, episodes in the future, uh, I want to make sure that that if you're hearing this and you might be interested, that you kind of have a time marker. So that's that's what I'm doing. Um, so, Bill, let me get back to ask you, first of all, where uh, is the research taking place and how long will you be recruiting patients for the study? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I, um, I'll let R- R- Rainey give more information about how patients can find a clinical trial center in the area that they live um, because we are opening up 20 to 25 sites in the U.S. And so it's a little bit of a long list to read off here. But our goal was to have a clinical trial site in every major city so that the majority of patients would have access uh, to the uh, drug. And of course, if they need to travel, we will provide, in many cases, assistance so that motivated and interested uh, patients who potentially qualify the trial can can uh, can participate. All right, uh, because it it you know it it does disrupt people's lives uh, to to have to go back to the doctor that often, uh, especially if they don't feel that they need to. But on the other hand, uh, the the therapy that you are investigating here sounds so promising that I would hope people listening to this, if they qualify, uh, would, would certainly try to, to step up. And and the other thing that you mentioned, which is different than anything we've talked about on the podcast before is, so you have a, you have a placebo where somebody gets, gets essentially a pill that looks like the treatment. And then you have another group that gets the actual treatment. But after six months, I heard you say everybody gets the treatment, which, which is an interesting take. Yeah, no, that's a, it's a, it's, it's included in the study design for two reasons. The first is that it gives us more information about the drug when we can look, for example, at those patients that have been on the therapy for a total of 12 months. And just as importantly, it gives us important information about the drug when we follow patients who have been on placebo for six months, and then they switch over to the uh, drug for the second six months. And we can see within one patient, the difference in outcomes. And that is really valuable information. So that's one reason why we do it. And obviously, the second reason why we do it is because oftentimes patients are reluctant to participate in clinical trials because they don't want to take the risk of being in the placebo arm. And unfortunately, and you know this well from other speakers that you've had on the podcast, in order to definitively determine if a drug is safe and effective, you have to compare it against a cohort of patients that are identical to the ones that have the drug who are on placebo so that you can make those comparisons. If you can't do that, then scientifically, you really can't conclude if the drug is safe and effective. So that's a necessary part of drug development. But by adding this open label extension, we can say to patients, if you participate in the study, 
you take the time and the inconvenience of participating in the study, then this is another reason to participate. And we've really worked hard to try to make it as easy as possible for patients to participate in this clinical trial first by opening up as many clinical trial sites as we can to make sure that that uh, the uh, a center is uh, nearby a patient who's interested and qualified. Second, we uh, design the criteria unlike other studies so that you don't have to be on a high dose of steroid to get in the study. If you are on a high dose of steroid and you want to try to get off, then you can participate in the study and part of the study design will be to taper you down uh, in the study. But if you're not on a high dose of steroid, you can still get in the study because we would just keep you at whatever level that you're at now. So you cannot be on a steroid at all and still get into the study. And we think that's a big advantage for a lot of people who traditionally have been excluded from clinical trials. You know, treatment practices are changing and people are on high doses of steroid less and less as time goes by and clinicians and patients are more aggressive about trying to find other options other than staying on high doses because of all of the side effects. So we think that that will be appealing. And then the other thing uh, that's important to know about this drug is that it's not the first time that it's being evaluated in patients who have a significant disease. This drug has been in more than 300 patients, uh, sometimes not to six months or longer. And so far, we have not seen any safety or even side effects associated with the drug. So we can't be positive in what will happen in sarcoidosis, but our, our bet, our, um, our belief is that this drug will continue to be safe and well tolerated. So oftentimes you hear patients say that they don't want to be a guinea pig, and that's the reason for not participating in clinical trial. But in this case, that uh, shouldn't be a concern. And patients who uh, are willing to participate in this trial can can participate uh, with you know that extra level mm-hmm. of, of confidence and awareness. And then finally, the other thing that makes this drug different than other drugs that have been evaluated for sarcoidosis, it's a sub-Q injection. It's not an infusion. It's not a one-hour fusion. You don't have to go to the clinic and sit in a chair for an hour. It's a convenient once-a-month injection that you can get at the clinic or in some centers that are participating in this clinical trial, a mobile nurse will come to your home in order to do the assessments and to give you, you know, the injection. So, so we've tried to make it, um, you know, as convenient as possible for patients who are interested in participating in the study to do so. Very good. Um, I want to just ask you, so, so you're recruiting now, when do you think, and it's a year-long process. So when do you think you'll have the results of your phase two and be ready to go into a larger testing in phase three? And assuming that everything progresses as you hope, as we all hope, uh, when might this be available to patients if if everything just tracks according to plan? Yeah, good question. And I like your caveat at the end because... Uh... Uh, uh, often plans don't go as well as you hope. But in this case, our plan is to finish recruitment sometime in the first half of next year, which means that we will get 
our top line result in the first half of 2024. And in anticipation of positive results from one or both of the clinical trials that we're conducting in sarcoidosis, we are already investing in manufacturing of for the phase three part of the program. One of the unique artifacts about developing a, particularly a biologic for a disease is that you have to manufacture your phase three drug product in the same facility on the same conditions as what you would launch and go to market with. Um, if you don't do that, then you take on a lot of unnecessary risk and you potentially delay the drug's uh, approval and entry into the market. So companies like ours, not only are making a significant investment in the clinical trial, but we're making a significant investment in parallel with all of the manufacturing and um, and other requirements to initiate a phase three study so that we can roll into that phase three study in a very short period of time after we get our results from this study. Excellent. You're listening to the FSR Sark Fighter podcast. And today we are talking with some folks at Kinevant who are working on a potential new therapy. Let's call it a research opportunity for sarcoidosis. And I want to bring in Randy Rogers, who's the Director of Patient Advocacy. Uh, first of all, Randy, uh, welcome. You, you've been sitting here graciously, and we haven't heard from you much yet. So uh, officially, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, John. I, um, I, the first time I met you, I felt like I was meeting a celebrity. I've, I've listened to so much of your, uh, of your podcast over the last eight or nine months. So thanks so much for having us. Bill and I are thrilled to be here. Well, I'm we really your glad autograph, to John. Uh, yeah. Yeah, autograph, <laughs> autograph would be appreciated. Sure, sure. I'll, 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 uh, I'll tell you what. I'll bring it right out to San Diego as soon as the weather gets cold here in Virginia. How's that sound? You got a place to stay. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, but Rainy, I, I know that you guys are working with FSR. Can you talk a little bit about that relationship? Absolutely. So. Um, I'm the director of patient advocacy at Kinevant, as John mentioned, and and really um, I wear a number of hats. So my my background is in rare disease research, both for pharmaceutical companies as well as for patient foundations like FSR. Um, I actually worked for the Muscular Dystrophy Association, and really uh, here at Kinevant, I'm responsible for a number of different things. So helping to design clinical trials that are easy for people to participate in making sure that all geographical areas are accommodated for and represented in research and ensuring ultimately that the patient voice is reflected in everything that we do. So I spend a lot of time listening and a lot of time doing um, research and partnership uh, with, with groups like FSR. So kind of is thrilled to be partnering with FSR as well as a number of uh, other smaller organizations that are uh, international as well that focus in sarcoidosis. We are partnered with FSR on a number of exciting initiatives. So I'll just highlight a few. Uh, so I, I joke with Bill, I could talk about advocacy all day, but I'll, I'll just give some, some highlights and some color into what we're doing with FSR. Um, ultimately, we feel so lucky as researchers to have FSR as a partner for us to be able to really truly understand what's important to patients and to, to bounce ideas off of each other as we continue with our, our phase two research of nemilumab. 
So we are part of the Corporate Advisory Committee with FSR. We also recently, just last month, uh, many of your listeners may have attended the Global Virtual Patient Summit. We were um, really excited to represent uh, our research there. We had a virtual booth. We uh, had a live chat feature and, and interacted with people living with sarcoidosis all over the globe, had a lot of really great uh, conversations there. We had on our booth information about the trial as well. We're also uh, another piece I, I want to highlight is we're a proud sponsor of the African-American Women in Sarcoidosis campaign. And that campaign really uh, is, is pursuing how to best encourage African-American women to participate in research understanding the barriers to that population and, uh, and making rapid change to enable those, those populations to have access to these types of opportunities, especially for these ethnic groups that are historically underrepresented in research, participating in clinical trials is so important because it really helps to ensure that the, the trial results better reflect both the effectiveness and safety of the drug, but across all patients or all people living with sarcoidosis. So uh, just just a few highlights with FSR, but, but right. I'm thrilled thrilled to be partnered with them. Yeah, well, of course, and you just mentioned the African American Women Initiative, uh, which, if people are listening to this podcast for the first time, may not be familiar with that program. But essentially, you have a a population uh, when we look at the data that is uh, most likely to suffer the effects of sarcoidosis and least likely to access effective treatment. And so that's one of the reasons why FSR is trying to uh, make it easier for that group of people to to get the treatment they need and to uh, and to and to really kind of focus attention on a group that badly needs it. And so kind of ant is stepping in and, and and you're one of the sponsors of that program. So congratulations to you on that. I think that's that's outstanding advocacy. But when we look at uh Namilumab, if people want to get involved with this and 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 I know that there is a website that is probably available uh through your website, but that's also that information is also being distributed by FSR, is it not? It is. Yes, we have developed. So we do have our, our kind of it website, but we've developed a study specific website that is for patients. It, it's for, for people that are living with sarcoidosis who are looking for information about the drug, about the trial, um, you know, where these trial sites are and the ability to ask more questions. So that website, uh, it, and hopefully we can link it in the show notes, John, as I've seen you do, that website is www dot sarcoidosis trial.com. So super easy to remember. Um, all the information is there. Also, Bill had mentioned study sites. So we have 26 sites in the United States, uh, and we have a total of approximately 50 sites globally. So we have seven, seven countries, including the United States that are participating. Um, some of the sites are active now, as Bill had mentioned, we're, we're thrilled to have sites actively enrolling, and some of our sites are still in startup. I, I know you're actively working with all of these sites right now, uh, and again, we are speaking in late August of 2022, so if someone is listening to this, when do you think that that will be firmed up completely and that you'll have all your sites lined up and ready to go and to accept patients that might be willing to do this? 
Yeah, absolutely. So it's on a, on a rolling basis. Um, every week we have new sites activating. We're hoping to get all of our sites active here in the next couple of months, uh, specifically in the U.S., probably sooner. Um, that, that link, sarcoidosistrial.com, it's going to be updated in real time. So as soon as a new site is, is active, that site's going to be listed there. I just want to touch back quickly because Bill earlier in the podcast has mentioned there's actually two studies happening here. There's Resolve Heart and Resolve Lung as we look at the potential safety and effectiveness of amilumab. Um, are we talking primarily about lung patients here or or if you, you heard the word heart and you're a cardiac patient, how would you react to the information we're sharing right now? You're right. What we've been talking about with the 50 sites and, and uh, international and all that, that is specific to the Resolve Lung Study. Uh, the Resolve Heart Study is in the United States, and we do have information uh, on our website for that study as well in terms of how to find more information. All right. And what level of sarcoidosis are you looking for? Are you looking for a patient who's just been diagnosed or for somebody who's been suffering for, for multiple years or all of the above? Sure. Um, so the, there's a, a short list of criteria on the website. I'll highlight just a couple of points. Um, so 18 years or older, uh, diagnosed with sarcoidosis for at least six months, completed a COVID-19 vaccination. I think the, the fourth one listed there is um, just around steroid use. And um, Bill had mentioned this earlier, but uh, willing to either taper down or stay on a stable dose or yes. no requirement for steroids as well. So yeah, those, those criteria, a couple of things there are listed on the website. All right. Outstanding. Um, so uh, Randy, is there anything else that you wanted to add in terms of patient advocacy and, and making kind of ant, uh, making sure that the, the sarcoidosis patients are being heard or anything else you want to add along those lines? Absolutely. Uh, just, just a couple closing statements from me. I mean, Ultimately, I just want to really stress how much time our, our team has spent really considering and, and trying to understand what's important, not to rare disease patients, but to people living with sarcoidosis um, and, and what it would take for them to, uh, to consider partnering with a company like Kynavant for research in, uh, in, with nemilumab in both pulmonary and cardiac sarcoidosis. We've tried to think outside the box to make the trial more accessible. So some of the things Bill had mentioned, you know, we have um, transportation assistance and uh, travel reimbursement to study visits. We know that these visits can be uh, time consuming and potentially financially burdensome. So really trying to, um, to cover those costs there. Ultimately, the fact that nemilumab is an injection and not an infusion, which will uh, reduce the time needed to participate in, in a research project such as ours and the offering of home and televisits. So if, if a, a patient is working, um, they, they need an evening uh, home visit for their injection this month, they're traveling, they're taking care of a loved one. There's so many things that happen on a, on a day-to-day basis, really trying to make sure that we're addressing those potential concerns and offering um, the flexibility and the, the resources there so that all patients that are interested have an opportunity to participate, not just you know, uh, someone who's living in a close to a big city and potentially retired. And, um, you know, we, we understand that the sarcoidosis community is, is very complex and that there's a lot of, a lot of different, um, things that are important. So really trying to cover all those bases. 
Well, the fact that it's a shot is is fantastic. <laughs> I've been through the whole thing at the infusion center with Remicade, and it, it is very time consuming. You have to build your life around it. There's no other way around it. Um, and and now uh, I've I've transferred to um, Humera, and that's a shot that I give myself at home, which is so so much easier. And in terms of participating in this study, uh, that's that's just something that that it's that hour of your life that you get back once you get there and go through the waiting room and all the other stuff that happens when you're at at the doctor's office. Well, Randy, uh, thank you, and I want to bring in CEO Bill Gearhart again. Uh, at kind of Ant. Bill, do you have some closing thoughts or anything else that you would want to to add to our conversation? Drug development is hard. Most people in the world have a negative impression of pharmaceutical companies, usually because of the high prices charged for drugs, which makes them less accessible to many. I understand that. But the reality is that most drugs are initially discovered and developed by small companies like ours staffed with people who take huge career risks and investors who risk significant amounts of money to work on just one program or one disease. It takes a Herculean effort and a lot of courage to nurture a drug candidacy from infancy to a proven entity that's available to patients. Most, as you know, fail along the way. Many of us have nothing to show for the effort after dedicating three to four or five years or longer of our lives to a program. And a good example was the program that I worked on at IPF, which was five years of our lives and $100 million of invested capital with nothing to show for it. At kind of end, I'm privileged to lead a small team of very dedicated individuals who wake up every morning thinking about nothing but the huge responsibility we have to successfully conduct these clinical trials and develop a new therapy for those with sarcoidosis, many of whom desperately need a more effective and well-tolerated therapy to treat their disease. For us, it's now a mission and a cause that consumes 80% of our waking minutes. We are completely energized by the potential to make a significant difference in the lives of patients that are suffering from sarcoidosis. Having spoken to many of them over the last couple of the years, we deeply understand the challenges experienced by people with this disease. It's challenging to diagnose, challenging to find the optimal treatment regimen. It has a significant impact on quality of life and the existing treatment options can be pretty crummy. So here's my call of action. Here's my call to action from your listeners. Nobody is pleased with the currently available therapies for sarcoidosis, but in order to develop new therapies that make a significant difference in this disease, it does take a village. It takes dedicated biopharma or pharmaceutical companies that are willing and able to make the investment in R&D for an orphan disease for a small number of patients, relatively speaking. But more than this, it takes clinicians who treat this disease to be willing and enthusiastic about participating in clinical research. If they're not willing and enthusiastic about participating in clinical research, we can't evaluate and get new therapies to patients. And patients have to be willing to participate in clinical trials. If you don't have clinicians and patients willing to participate in clinical trials, we can't invest in developing and evaluating new candidates for this disease. I mentioned earlier that biologic drugs are expensive to manufacture. 
But the biggest drive of cost, the biggest driver of cost, and thus the biggest driver of high prices for drugs for rare disease is the huge cost to conduct a clinical trial like the one we have initiated for sarcoidosis. And statistically, less than 5% of those with the disease are willing to participate in a clinical trial. If it's a large disease, that's not a problem. But if it's a rare disease, that's a big problem. It's been estimated that only 1% of sarcoidosis patients who would qualify for a clinical trial would choose to participate in a clinical trial. 1%. It's risky to try to develop a drug for sarcoidosis because we don't know what really causes the disease. And we don't you know, really know what's required to get the drug approved by the FDA. But on top of those risks, there's that significant cost to recruit and enroll a clinical trial because it's so hard to find patients that are willing and interested to participate. If the percentage of patients just doubles from 1% to 2%, that would make a huge difference. The more patients who participate in clinical trials, the lower the cost to conduct clinical research for sarcoidosis and the more motivated companies would be willing to develop new therapies for this disease. Forget about our company and our disease. I want to just make that pitch for the community of people who have this disease. It's important for people to have that awareness and to know that their participation is important in order for the treatments for their disease to be developed and for their lives to improve, not just for them, but for successive generations of people that might have this disease. Other pharma companies are watching to see what our experience is and the experience of other companies conducting clinical research in sarcoidosis. Can we successfully conduct a large study in sarcoidosis? So this is a call to action. If you are a clinician who treats sarcoidosis patients, sponsor a clinical trial so that your patients who are interested and qualified can participate. If you're a patient, please ask your clinician about the opportunity to participate in a clinical trial. Yes, it does involve some risk and some inconvenience, but companies like ours need you to partner with us to conduct clinical research in order to develop new therapies that better treat and may eventually cure the disease that affects you and future generations of people with this disease. Without your participation, we can't do it. Help us help you. Outstanding. That's a a fantastic call to action. And uh, I had never heard these statistics before. The the, the 5% generally, 1% of SARC patients. And you you start doing the math, and that doesn't leave you with many patients, potentially, when you look at the United States. Fortunately, the podcast does have a worldwide reach. So hopefully, if somebody's listening in Australia or UK or, uh, you know, wherever in Europe, uh, maybe that that will help you get this done that much more quickly. So uh, let's let's hope that that works out. So we have been talking with uh, two folks from Kind Event, CEO Bill Gearhart and Rainy Rogers, who is the director of patient advocacy. Guys, thank you so much for what you're doing and for joining me here on the FSR Sark Fighter podcast. Thanks for the opportunity to share a bit about our company and uh, the potential for this trial, John. We really appreciate it. And thanks for all that you do for the community. It's really inspiring. I feel like a zombie 
just feeding at stumbling. We covered a lot of ground in this interview, but there are some takeaways as you listen to the FSR Sark Fighter podcast. Let me hit the bullet points for you. Kind of Ant is the pharma company. They have a potential new drug to fight sarcoidosis called Namilumab. It's past phase one testing, now entering phase two. It's shown so far that it is safe and has few side effects in 300 patients, and the hope is that further testing will prove that it will suppress the inflammation associated with sarcoidosis and therefore significantly improve patients' quality of life. They are working with various centers right now to get the ball rolling. They need you to participate. And this test is interesting in that eventually, even people who get the placebo initially will eventually receive the treatment from of uh, Namil. Namilumab. I'm working very hard to make that just roll off my tongue. I'm getting better at it. Namilumab, okay? FSR is partnering with Kind of Ant to help spread the word about the trial, and you can get more information in the show notes on Kind of Ant's website and the FSR website, uh, and as I said, as well as the show notes here. Now, I, I can tell you that it costs hundreds of millions of dollars to bring a drug like this through research and testing and then to the market. And let me just say that I, for one, am glad that those resources and, let's face it, that risk, that financial risk, is being focused on sarcoidosis, which is classified as a rare disease with fewer than 200,000 patients in the United States. There are many, many of these orphan diseases and it is gratifying that people like the like Bill Gerhardt and Rainey at the uh, uh, at Kind Event have decided that sarcoidosis is where they want to put their focus, and and they're making progress, right? They're making progress. So, thank you to Bill and Rainey for joining me here today on the FSR Sark Fighter podcast. A reminder, the official Sark Fighter song is called Zombie by Mark Steyer, and he plays in a band called the White Hot Lizards in Alberta, Canada. Mark is a fellow Sark Fighter. The story behind the lyrics is way back in episode 12. And But whenever you hear little bits of that song here on the podcast, you're hearing part of the song Zombie. I normally reduce, uh, I normally release a podcast every other Monday. As I'm speaking today, my trusty dog Dougal, my rescue boxer, is curled up on the chair in my office. Google makes my life so much better, and I just have to share that with you. Please don't forget to follow me on social media. I'm on Facebook. Just search for Sark Fighter. Also, Instagram. If you happen to ride Peloton, you hear me talk a lot about bicycling. I'm on Peloton as Sark Fighter, and I do have a cycling blog, Carlin the Cyclist, which has a section called Cycling with Sarcoidosis. Also, if you are new here and you're just trying to figure out what sarcoidosis is, try listening to episode one, but uh, actually episode two with Dr. Simon Hart. It is one of the most listened to episodes. My story is episode one, and the backstory to the founding of the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research is episode 11 with Andrea and Redding Wilson, who started the foundation at their kitchen table. If you would like to tell me something about the podcast, if maybe you 
you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, if you want to alert me or uh, let me know about something that's happening, please email me, carlinagency at gmail.com. Uh, that link is in the show notes. And if you just want to comment on the podcast, I certainly, certainly welcome your comments. So once again, follow me on social media. Please take a link and just help share the podcast, get it out there in the sarcoidosis community using your social media, because I do appreciate your interest. And the more people who listen, the more we can grow this community and the more it can help. So if nothing else, if you really like the podcast, just tell one person. I certainly appreciate it. Until next time, keep fighting. Trying to keep up the pace Dead men walking